All right, welcome back, pool fans from across the country and around the world. You are listening to American Billiard Radio. My name is Mr. Bond. I'll be your host once again this week. It is January 21st, 2016. Well, I gotta get used to saying 2016. You know, I wrote that down the other day, the wrong date. So I'm uh, joined today with uh, Mr. Mark Cantrell of the Legends and Champions Report. How you doing, Mark? I'm doing great, thanks, Seth. All right. Well, in the pool world this week, as you guys might already know, um, they are just about to kick off the Derby City Classic down there in uh, the Horseshoe Casino in Indiana. It's the uh, biggest pool event of the year, pretty much, as far as the volume of pool being played. This is the 18th annual, and it runs from the 22nd all the way through the 30th. There's going to be uh, live streaming, obviously, on the TV table. There's also going to be AccuStats is producing the uh, Bigfoot 10-ball challenge. There's straight pool challenge, there's nine ball, there's nine ball banks, there's one pocket. It's the whole gamut. If you're not a player, you can even go down there and just spectate. It's very easy to do. It's easy to get to. You guys really ought to get in on some of this because this is some of the best pool of the year and some of the easiest access to good pool as it is. So anyway... What's going in on uh, going on on your end of the of the woods there, Mark? Well, um, let's see what's going on my end. Let's. I've got. I do have uh, some things to say, but let, let's lead into that by uh, if we could talk real quick about the Co and Hoping uh, and Dennis Okolo match. Yes. That, that, that seemed like it was uh, real tight for the first couple of days, and uh, I guess it was a tight match the whole way. I've seen bigger blowouts before, that's for sure. Uh, but uh, it seemed like it got a lot of attention. Yeah. Well, you're right. Let me um, let me give the listeners a little more background. There's um, There was a, um, I guess, should we call it an exhibition match? Um it was uh, Dennis Orcoyo versus Ko Penyi, and they were playing at uh, Steinway Billiards. And well, you can't, I, okay, I don't, I don't think you can call it an exhibition match. Okay, at well, this point, challenge match, money match, money match. As it's yeah, it was a yeah money money match. I don't know, exhibition just seems like it's. Like it's a, a fake thing, which we will get to, I guess, later on, because there's questions about whether it was a $20,000 match or not. Right. And then there's questions about the who was back in Cole, and that kind of thing, and who was back in Dennis. Right. Who were actually before. Right, right. So, well, um, that's right. Well, if we just take it, if we take it at face value, it was a, a gambling match for $20,000. Right. Well, that's what it was billed as. So there was a pay-per-view option to watch the match. It was played over three days. It was a race to 100. Uh, they were playing nine ball, or ten ball, excuse me. Wasn't it ten ball? I think it was ten ball. 
Yes. I, I didn't watch. I didn't watch it. I was busy. I didn't have a chance to get to see it at all. Or hear the commentary, which is another <laughs> topic that we're gonna apparently touch on. Well, right, and here's the, so here's the thing. Uh, this this match took place, and for all sakes and purposes, I mean, it was a good match. They both played pretty well, and I didn't watch all of it. But um, as soon as it's over, all of a sudden there becomes a bunch of questions surface over the integrity of the whole thing and part of that has to do with who backed who who was uh staking each of the sides of the match um there was another question being raised about where the payers play uh, where the players paid what was advertised that the match was being paid played for and then there's this whole other issue with the fact that the person who was allegedly involved with the backing of the money, John French, he's also in the midst of producing another match here in the future with Shane. And maybe even some kind of negotiating with ESPN even. So it's a really, it's a really odd thing that has sprung up from this particular match between Dennis and Copigny. The well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm, I'm really disappointed today that, don't take this the wrong way, I'm disappointed that I'm talking to you and not John <laughs> No, I know exactly what you mean. Because I was scheduled to, uh, since I believe Sunday, to do an interview with John French uh, on Wednesday, yesterday. Right. So uh, he contacted you and asked to, yeah. to talk to you, French did. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. It was, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the, I'll tell you how it kind of went down and, you know, you can draw whatever conclusions that you want to. I'm just disappointed I'm not talking to him because I wanted to give him a chance right, right. to address some of these things that have been said. I mean, there's the been questions. multiple threads. Right, He's the, the man of the moment. Right. right. I mean, for God's sake, I know nobody's. He's the guy that everybody's talking about, whether it be the pro players gushing endorsements about how fabulous he is, uh, Finnegan from Steinway gushing compliments toward him. Uh, and all these kind of things, which I can put my own, you know, thoughts to that. But I was sat, it was Sunday, Sunday evening. I, uh, not to get into too many details, I, I grilled some burgers. I made my uh, burgers for the family. And my phone rang. I didn't recognize the number. We're from Illinois, and a lot of people in Illinois. And they answered the phone. I had a burger in one hand and a French fry in the other, and my phone along with it. And I heard something, something about AZ Billions and, and uh, got good news. And I said, okay, listen, I'm in the middle of eating my dinner. Can I call you back in just a few minutes when I get done? Absolutely. So I called back. I said, let's start from the beginning. I'm sorry, but I'm always in the middle of dinner. Who is this and how can I help you? He said, this is John French. 
Now, no, I, I, I've never spoke to John French, and, and to be honest, I'm not a, a, a gambler with, as far as pool goes, so I don't know a lot about uh, stake horses and that kind of thing. I know some of them, but I, I don't, you know, I'm, my ear's not that close to the ground on it. And I said, okay, yeah, I know, I know who you are. And he said, well, I, you know, I want to explain this course situation to you and the commentary situation to you. And I said, okay, that's fine. I'm, I'm not really quite, I'm not really sure why he's calling me. I don't, I, you know, we don't know each other. And I, I did make a comment asking what's so bad about his commentary because there was a thread about his commentary. And he wanted to talk about that as well. And he told me that the numbers when he was on commentating, the numbers on the stream went through the roof. And so that's why he kept going and that wasn't going to be an issue. You know, it's, don't worry about these people and the petition and all those things. And so, okay. And he explained, he said, I'm, I'm meeting with the ESPN on Tuesday. I said, really? Oh. He said, yeah, they called me and asked me, so can you, you know, maybe put something up. I don't have an account on AC Billions. Would you mention something on there that, you know, I've got to meet with uh, ESPN? Okay. No, not a problem. I'll do that. I said, but I want to have you on the on the radio show, American Believe Radio, because there's all kinds of things that are being thrown about here. I'd like to talk to you about it, and I'd like you to be able to get. Right. I'd like to be able right. to get from the horse's mouth. Right, right. What is actually the case here, 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 and here? You know, because there's multiple things going on. I'm not saying the bad. I appreciate anybody who's trying to do anything good for pool. Okay. But there's questions, and I, I just want to give my option to answer some of those questions from his own mouth. Sure. Uh, and, and so th that was all agreed upon, and uh, we spoke uh, maybe twice after that briefly, and we were set to, for Wednesday at noon, my time to do an interview and then uh, couldn't get a hold of him couldn't get a hold of him sent him texts no answers and I see on the text that he's read the text so I said I see you read the text and, he, and then he texts me back saying I'm in meetings I'm in a meeting right now and I'll be in it all day so I said okay how about tomorrow he said I'll be in touch well, see, being in, I'll be in touch when you're trying to plan for a radio show on Thursday night that's, uh, you know, when on Thursday? Am I supposed to hold my day to make sure that I receive your phone call to be able to do this interview that's going to help you remove any of the doubt that's out there, you know? And so that didn't really um, work for me too good. But he couldn't, he couldn't give me an answer, and I get, we've tried to get hold of him today, and it seems like it's not going to be an option for him to do the interview anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not exactly sure why, but I did tell him I was going to not sugarcoat things, and I was going to ask him the questions that people wanted the answers to. So I don't know if, you know, that plays a part in ways, 
not available anymore or not. Uh, <laughs> Joel Hughesmith, again, the guy seems like he's trying to do something good with Poole and he's putting a team together. Um, uh, and, and what the team is, we don't really know what it means, but I, I assume, and you know what they say about assuming, so I'll, I'm guessing that he's going to stake him in some uh, some challenge matches, some events, you know, and that kind of thing. Uh, I don't know if he's doing anything as far as expenses. The well, deal he has with players is really none of our business, right? To right, be honest. Right. Well, hold up just for a second, Mark. Hold up for just one second. Yeah, uh, and I'm not saying that you got it. You're ahead of yourself. You got ahead of some of the listeners. Um, okay. What I'm trying to try see. We know what we know, or we, we we know what we've heard, or what we've been told. So I'm trying to get everybody on the same page here. As far as I agree, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm don't apologize. Everybody was in on the conversation that I had. Right, but, well, right. No, right. I'm just t- trying to explain what it is that you just said. Um, F- John French uh, um, apparently it was instrumental in putting this match together between Dennis Rocoyo and Copigny. Now questions right. are being raised. Questions have been raised in several venues in the public about the integrity of the match, who was backing who, and that that's one issue. And then there's this sort of other issue with that he has put together uh, a group of professional players in the form of a so-called team. It's being called on the internet. That's another big is- issue that people like answers to. And then there's this thing that he says that he's having met with ESPN for some reason, a pool-related reason. That's another big thing that people would like the answers to. So as you were saying, he contacted you, all willing to talk about all of this stuff, and now it's time for him to show up for the interview, and and, and he's knowingly making himself not available. I don't know what that says either. We're just trying to get the answers to the questions. You know what I mean? I I think everybody would like right, to know. Right. So I'm not. I'm not I, see, I'm not trying to accuse him of anything. Right. Yeah. All absolutely. I to give him an opportunity. <laughs> right. We were just to, trying to make let him have a voice. Exactly. Exactly. We, and that's what we always do. We give people a chance. Right. And, and at that point, it went no matter who it is, or it's Barry Berman or Johnny Archer or sure. John French. You've got an opportunity now. You can either do a good job and let people know what's actually going on, or you can bury yourself. Right. And, and so, I'd, let me tell you, if I can tell you real quick, I, I just want to go through a couple of the things that I have on my list of questions I was going to ask. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, there was a question on the internet, uh, or a thread that questioned the Cole and Dennis match. How much were they playing for? It was billed as twenty thousand, and some have said they got paid five hundred each. Right, uh, or uh, you know, it wasn't, or it wasn't twenty thousand. One of the two. It's been a little uh, diluted or colluded or whatever the word is. Right, as far as that. Is. So I want to know, hey, what did they play for? Twenty thousand, ten thousand each. Is that what they did? Right, or did they play for a fee? 
Right. And it was billed as that. Right. The uh, uh, next question or topic I wanted to deal with was the Cole Brothers. He signed the Cole Brothers on the left uh, or signed, uh, I don't know if he even signed a deal, you know, literally signed a deal or made a verbal agreement. The Cole Brothers got on board and he was going to be their stake horse for, uh, you know, for upcoming matches. But it was on the last day of the co and uh, uh, Dennis O'Cullo match. Did that have an impact? You know, did it have an impact of how much they were actually playing for? Right. Uh, did the deal make an impact on the result of the match? That's not you or me asking, accusing John French of that. That's why I wanted him on here so bad is we're not accusing him of that. These are questions that the pool community are asking. So that was that. The other question was, who was staking Copigny against Dennis in the beginning? Who was that person? Right. Were they staking themselves? Or was he doing it, you know, uh, what was going on there? Because if you've got a backer already and then you go to somebody else, there's got to be some kind of, uh, I, uh, I don't know, conduct or uh, respect given to the other guy that, hey, I, I don't know, maybe if you if your backer says it's okay, you kind of thing, uh, I'm willing to stake you in other games. Um, there's Shane Van Boringham and Dennis O'Cola match just coming up. It's another topic. It's a hundred thousand dollar match. That's fifty thousand each. Uh, are they posting the money? How's that working? Now, just to put a little exclamation on this, Shane Van Borning. I've worked with Shane Van Borning. I've uh, never worked with uh, John Mars, who's his backer. And but I do know from reputations that. Shane has an impeccable reputation. He doesn't cheat, he doesn't dump, he doesn't say it's one thing and it's another, and neither does John Mars. Okay? So I'm not putting anything on them, and that's why the hundred, he's advertised there's 100,000 people are questioning if that's the case. I don't think that Shane or John Mars would be involved in anything that wasn't what it was supposed to be. Okay, but I had to ask a question of him, of John French, if he was here with us. Is that correct? Um, the uh, commentary, the complaints about his commentary, the petition <laughs> saying, you know, are you going to commentate? He told me, yes, he is. I'm paying for the stream. These are These are things that he's told me, and... I asked him in a text, I can uh, show the text that I said to him, I said, it's okay, I'm just going to tell people what I know, you know, from what you've told me, basically, you know, already. If you're not going to be able to do the interview, I'm going to tell them what you've told me. Um, And he said, yes, he is going to be in the commentary booth at the Shane Van Borning and Dennis O'Colo match. He's paying for it. He said the numbers go up when he's on it. And ESPN has contacted him 
And as I said in a thread myself, um, you know, how bad can it be if ESPN is contacting him? <laughs> so, but we'll get to the ESPN. We'll get to the ESPN thing. Um, uh, uh, I was going to ask him about, you know, try help him promote the uh, event in Upstate Al. Upstate Al's a great guy. Great guy. Nothing bad to say about Upstate Al. Uh, no, known him for a, a number of years. I just wanted, where can where can you find it? How much is it? That kind of thing. And then to talk, I wanted to talk to him about let him give the news about ESPN, which I will do based on what he told me. Whenever we're ready to move on to that part. But I just wanted everybody to know that I, those are the questions I wanted to talk to him about and give him an opportunity to uh, to answer. Do you have any questions, David? Well, those are all the... All <laughs> you, uh, get off your soapbox. No, I'm just kidding. No, there. That that is... <laughs> that is uh, legitimately... Uh, you know, legitimate concerns, I think. If um, I, I, I know I get complain I get complained about because sometimes I talk over people and talk too much. But this is an important thing. I want to make sure that everybody knows. That I I'm not accusing him of any wrongdoing at all. Right, right, right. Well, I appreciate him making an effort. Right. I just I wanted to him to answer the questions that everybody else is asking. Right. I was trying to give the guy a, a freaking chance. Right, and now I don't know why he's not available. Because every time I spoke to him, he was like, "Yeah, don't worry, just call me. I'll make myself available. I will be available for you for this. Don't worry." Right, right. The right. time yeah. comes and he's not, and it makes me wonder why. Well, that doesn't really help the situation. You know what I mean? Especially if people are suspicious, as it is. You know, unfortunately, it. And that's what's so messed up about it is that with the good things potentially happening here, you know, the fact that Orcoyo and Co. had the match, that's great. The fact that there's going to be this chain match, that's great. If he's talking ESPN and something becomes of it, hey, that's great. I'm all for it. But uh, if the other questions about the match go unanswered, that gives people very le legitimate reasons to be concerned about all this potential good stuff in the future. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah. With their support yeah. of it and getting behind it. Because then... You know what? He's, uh, for, however, again, we don't know what the deal is with the Team French or whatever, you know, Team John French, whatever it's called. Yeah. But look at the players he's got. I mean, he's got some. He's got some great, fantastic talent. Yeah. That absolutely. Absolutely. John Mora. You got the two Cole brothers. You got uh, Darren Appleton. And you got uh, Jason Shaw. Jason Shaw. What's that? So huh? That's a. That is a. One of those, a team that you don't want to meet in a dark alley. You know what I mean? That's some bad mofos. That's <laughs> some bad, awesome players, that, man. That, that, I mean, that's a, a Moscone Cup team 
winner for the next 10 years. Something like that, yeah, yeah. That's tough action. Yeah, I could be talking out of place on that, but I, I don't know. <laughs> but, it's a good team, though. Somebody pointed out. Somebody pointed out there's no Americans on that. Yeah, that's true. So what you should do, but Mark. They're all great players, and I don't know what their deal is, but obviously they've been told or done the deal that's beneficial for them, for those that kind of star power to get on board with. Uh with whatever it is that they're doing, so you need to get get your uh, get your thoughts together and put together uh, Team Cantrell. Yeah, who's gonna be on it? You, me, Howitzer? <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. Get some people that can actually play. <laughs> you can put them up. You know. It can be Kentrell's team versus French team. You guys will get rich and famous, man. It's it's a it's a no brainer. <laughs> I, I unfortunately I don't have the kind of money to put up twenty thousand dollars to play a challenge match. And if I did, my wonderful wife Jessica would kill me if I took twenty thousand dollars to bet on a match. Oh my goodness. Uh, well, Anyways. Yeah, she'd kill you even more for doing it against a team that had Darren and John and the Coes and Jason. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know. yeah. That's a suicide mission. All right. Well, you got anything else to add to it? Well, um, yes. ESPN. Oh, yes. The- here's, here's what... Um, the, the synopsis of the conversation I had with uh, John French. Uh, he was having the meeting on Tuesday with ESPN uh, in Connecticut. And my first question to him after the thing, he said, everything, I, I, I texted him, said, did everything go good? And he called me. And he said, it went great. Uh, there was, I don't know, I think 11 people, I guess, in the room uh, for the meeting. And I said, now, is this ESPN 3? He said, no, I asked that question 75 times. It's not ESPN 3, it's ESPN TV. So like ESPN 1 or 2, I'm, I'm going to guess. And which... Takes me back a little bit. Um, it, it, I, I, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of questions with this, you know. Um, I don't know how many publicized events is actually done that ESPN would be contacting him to do this. Uh, but they must have seen something. And I guess on the back of the Moscone Cup, the numbers for ESPN3 must have been really good for them to be looking at pool again. Mm. You know, we know they do trick shot magic. And what's the other one they do? They say the Challenge of Champions? Or? The Challenge of Champions, yeah. They just did that, yeah. Uh, the other one that they do? So they've got contacts in the pool world. So I, why, uh, why they chose to contact John French, I don't know. 
Yeah. Unless they said, oh, ESPN3 is doing well and this is an ex-full stream. And if the numbers are good when John French is on there, then that's the reason why, you know, maybe that they contact him. Hmm. Anyway, uh, I asked him how it went and he told me that uh, it went really good. They want to put uh, my team and then get other players to play against my team on ESPN, or ESPN3, live. Live events. See, I don't know many events that are on ESPN that are live. I think the golf and football uh, are, you know. Right. But we know, I'm not comparing the pool to golf or football, but I guess I kind of am. They're, they're a different they're a different animal altogether. They, they, they make so much money mm-hmm. and have so many followers. Right, right, right. Uh, it, it makes sense to maybe do that kind of thing live. But yeah, he said they, they want to do some live and each member of his team would be playing three times a year on live on ESPN. Hmm. And so that I, I, maybe, I don't know if that is uh, what the why? What are the reasons the players are getting on board with the team, or just the right? Right. Events. I I don't I don't know the answer. Right. To that. That's what that's was but, that was one of my questions. Was does this team of players that he has seemingly pulled together? Does it have anything to do with this ESPN bit? Yeah, and we don't know. And and again, it's. As much as I'd like to know, it's really, we we can speculate on it all we want, but at the end of the day, you can speculate on how much your boss makes and, you know, things like that, but it's really none of your business or my business what deal they've come to financially, I mean, you know, uh, or anything else. So if he didn't want to talk about something like that, I won't, I won't blame him at all. Uh, and I won't blame any, blame any of the players. You know, they, they've got their deal, and that's that's what it is. No, we were just but interested the, in seeing what what <laughs> what was the concept behind the reason why they contacted him at all. Was it just about doing commentary, or did it have something to do with these matches, you know, putting uh, actual a, a game together? Or a series of games, it sounds like. Three times a year, yeah, live right. on ESPN. That sounds like a series of matches, you know? Well, I don't know. No, each player gets to play three times a year. Right. There's six of them. You know, so it's... the six players. That's what... I mean... Two a month... Is that right? I don't Two know. Well, That's if they're well, if they're talking about each person playing three matches, yeah, that's three I, matches a month live on ESPN. I mean, that's awfully appealing. But ESPN has never been that. You know, they use pool as a filler right. for things. Exactly. You know, the WPA, from what I can gather, were paying their own production costs. Right. Well, WPBA. Right. Well, that's why, yeah, that's why the idea is so, that's why this suggestion of him talking with ESPN is so compelling. Because, A, 
it would be a magnificent opportunity for pool if they do put some permanent programming on there. But on the other hand, it, that would be so unusual, so unlike them to do that. You know, it just doesn't seem like something that they would normally want to do. It's if, if history is any guide, you know. <clears throat> and who is the other? Who who is his team of guys going to be playing against? Right, right. Are, are they playing against each other, or are they playing? You know, and that's something that was a little bit vague, and that's understandable because he'd had one meet with them. They told him a concept, uh, you know. And I'm just going by his, again, I, this is, I, I, I don't know John French. I've had three phone conversations with him. Uh, you know, so I don't know very much at all. Right, right, right. So, but as to the validity of it, I'm not calling a guy a liar or anything. I just don't know, you know, how much of a conversation it really was or how much, you know, I've done it myself. If somebody says something to me, oh, uh, be hypothetical. Your Aunt Mary died. She left a little bit of money for you. Now, all of a sudden, my mind goes, how much is it? Is it 100000 Is it a million? Is it 50 bucks? I don't know. But, you know, my mind starts spinning, and like ESPN's calling, oh, it's going to be worldwide. It's live on ESPN. You know, I don't know if he's, because uh, I don't know him, whether his imagination got the better of him. <laughs> and he right. read more into it than there actually was. Right. Right. Or right. maybe they had an idea for a reality show and they were just looking for a consultant, you know, somebody that, that was around pool to talk to as far as what would you do with the format? What do you think people would be interested? It could have been something that simple, you know what I mean? But on the other hand, if they had him flown out to Connecticut for it, just for that meeting, it doesn't sound like something that casual either, you know. If that's in fact what, you know, really happened. So, intriguing stuff. Let's hope that uh, John uh, listens to this and is compelled to uh, come and talk to everybody about it, so we can get some of those answers. All right. So. Yep. Well, I hope you would give us a call. Yeah. And. You know, maybe we can go through these questions again. Sure. Maybe you can, uh, you know, maybe answer. I, I don't think he's interested in going on uh, AZ Billiards forums anymore. Uh, I don't blame him. Well, I think uh, that... Again, this, is not a, this is not an attempt to just bash him. Well, no, that's but just the whole point. Questions. Right, the whole point is I think that's, there's... That's a, I think there's a lot of people that would like to be able to get behind what he's doing, but there's some questions that are preventing them from doing that, you know? So uh, I think that would be great for him to, to talk with us about it. So let's get on with it, and uh, we'll uh, catch up with you guys after we get back, after John French calls us back for his interview. Uh, thanks for your time, Mark. We'll catch up with everybody next week here on American Billiard Radio.
Welcome back, everybody, to American Billiard Radio. And this is the portion of the program where we are reading through a book called The Fabulous Mr. Ponzi. It is the 1948 autobiography of three-time world champion pocket billiard player Andrew D'Alessandro, otherwise known as Andrew Ponzi. So this week we're on Chapter 5. If you've missed any of the previous chapters, feel free to go back on our website, AmericanBilliardRadio.com. Hit the uh, archive section, and then uh, you can catch up on the previous chapters. All right, Chapter 5. I was playing at Johnny Klein's place down in Baltimore, Maryland, when I received a long-distance call from Levy. I've got you booked to meet Irving Crane at Bob McGeer's room in New York City. You open the second week in January, he announced. Are you glad? You can bet I was glad, and for very special reasons. About six months previously, I had played the Capitol on Broadway and had just completed my stint with an, un- with an unfinished run of 93. Some of the spectators, besides a few mutual friends, came over to tell me how much they had enjoyed the game. Among them was a honey-haired lass with the cutest southern drawl I had ever heard. We were introduced. As we shook hands, she remarked, I sure liked your trick shots, Mr. Ponzi. Imagine having a run of 93 and then being complimented on an ordinary routine of trick shots. Her name was Madeline Bowles. She came from Salem, Virginia, and was a a member of the Ziegfeld Follies. Before the night was over, I had a date with Madeline for dinner, and we began to see a lot of each other after that. When I was away on the road... The the local phone companies must have paid big dividends out of the money I was spending calling her on long distance. No wonder I was happy to learn that I would soon return to the big town. It meant that Madeline and I would soon be together for a New Year's Eve celebration. I resolved that I would start the New Year right by asking her to become Mrs. Ponzi. That was one New Year's resolution that I faithfully faithfully and happily kept. A few, days le- a few days later, accompanied by Levy, we journeyed down to City Hall where Mr. James Cruz, city clerk, made us man and wife. After a wedding breakfast, Madeline and I got into the car and drove to Lynbrook, Long Island, where I was due to play an engagement that same evening. The air was crisp and cold outside, and there was plenty of snow on the ground. But inside the car, our hearts were warm with love as we drove away on the first day of our honeymoon. We, When we arrived in Lynbrook, I introduced my wife to the boys at the recreation, and they just couldn't do enough for our pleasure and comfort. They insisted upon taking us to dinner, and when we returned to the billiard room that night, we found that they had preceded us and had the place decorated with streamers and wedding bells. Madeline was thrilled to it all. When I went to the table to start the game, I was my absolute best playing mood. 
After running 150 balls without a miss, without a miss, I was inclined to stop and put on my usual trick shot exhibition. But the crowd insisted that I continue with the run and see if I could set a new high run record for an exhibition game. No sooner had I resumed play when a mishap at the local powerhouse plunged the village of Lindbrook into darkness. For over an hour, we sat there in inky blackness. To while away the time, I answered questions that were fired at me out of the blank void, and I told them little stories concerning my many billiard greats. Not a person left the room during the long wait. When the break at the powerhouse had been repaired and the lights came back on, I resumed play. I had stretched my run to 284 when I finally missed a very easy shot, and we called it a night. Madeline made the entire trip with me that winter and spring, and what a wonderful honeymoon it was. We were headed for the deep south, and when we crossed into Georgia, we found the, leather, the weather so delightful that we often stopped along the roadside, took out a basket of lunch with Ma which Madeline had previously prepared, and made a real holiday of it. Our trip through Florida was a source of continual wonderment. We had never seen this beautiful country before. The waving palms and technicolor orange groves provided the perfect setting for a young pup for a young couple very much in love. After my season had come to a close, Madeline's folks invited us to spend the summer at their home in Virginia. The tiny town of Salem nestles in the heart of the Blue Ridge Mountains, and it is as picturesque as any nature lover could imagine. Madeline introduced me to all the local boys and they seemed quite proud to have their to have in their midst a feller who has hit, a feller who has his picture taken in the pipers they included me in their frequent hunting and fishing expeditions and when we drove down to Roanoke to do some saturday shopping the local billiard hall proprietor would laughingly tell me stories how some of the mountain boys had bragged about the cube prowess of one of their Salem boys. I learned to love those mountains. Now I spend all my summer months there, amid scenes of rugged splendor, among those plain country folks. That fall, Madeline did not accompany me on my tour, as she was heavy with our first child and, and decided to stay at her mother's until it was born. I went directly to, to New York to open my 1934 season at Frank Julian's 14th Street Academy, where I was billed to meet all comers. Mr. Julian, besides being one of the most progressive men in the billiard business, loves the game for itself. I have never known him to refuse a match that was meant for the good of the game, even though it cost him monetary loss. I cannot help but think that, were it not for Mr. Julian, New York billiard fans would have no opportunity to witness any of the billiard stars since he is the only one at the present writing who takes the time, trouble, and expense to produce the various matches and tournaments that are held in the Empire City. What Allinger's is to Philadelphia, what Benzinger means to Chicago, Frank Julian means to New York City. All these men have spent money and energy in stimulating and promoting the game of billiards in their respective communities, and have certainly done more than their share to help place the game on a very high plane. 
I was playing an engagement at Benny Allen's Kansas City Recreation when I received the glad tidings that I was the father of a baby girl. We named her Delia. Today, as I sit here recalling the events, the events of the passing years, Delia is quite a young lady of 13 years. Her shy, wistful smile reminds me of her mother, and I believe she has inherited some of her, her father's dexterity of hand, for she plays the piano beautifully for a child of her age. The reader must pardon me for this momentary digression into manners of filial devotion. Please attribute this to the pardonable pride of a doting parent. To get back to the thread of my story, I began to realize that the time was drawing near when I must meet Erwin Rudolph in a, challenger, in a challenge match for the title. The rules called for a champion to defend his title every 90 days and to meet the challengers in the order they had finished in the last world championship tournament. Rudolph had already dusted off his previous challengers. As I was next in line, we decided to play our match at the Capitol Billiards early in March. Years and tournaments had passed by me since that first memorable night in Philadelphia, and I sometimes wondered if I would ever justify Levy's faith that someday I would wear the purple mantle of billiard supremacy. Up to this date, I had played consistently good games in all my tournament engagements, but I had received more than my share of bad breaks or had run up against an opponent who happened to be hotter than red-hot stove than a red-hot stove on that particular night that we met. I decided to come to New York two weeks in advance of the match in order to get in as much practice on the 5 by 10 table as the limited time would permit. I adhered to a strict training program by practicing three to four hours daily, taking long walks, and getting plenty of sleep. When the big night arrived, I felt that I was ready. Our challenge match was slated for 750 points, to be played in six blocks of 125 points each. Under the rules governing continuous pocket billiards, the player winning the block automatically clears the table, leaving one block out, leaving one ball out for the next break shot, then continues his run when play is resumed at the next session. It was under these conditions that I set a new world record for a high run and match play, and which still stands. Now, billiards, like any other form of athletics, is subject to form reversals. One night you're a palooka, the next night, like the king, you can do no wrong. I know very little about the Greek classics, but if there is a goddess of billiards, she certainly showered me with her affection on the first night of my challenge match. When I got up to take my fourth turn at the table, the score stood Rudolph 41, Ponzi 36. It was at this point that I started on a marathon run that kept Irwin glued to his seat for the rest of the evening. After I had cleared the table for the fourth successive frame, the gallery started to applaud. Then, as rack after rack went by, the applause grew in volume until I had won the block and cleared the table. At this stage of the game, I was leading Rudy by a score of 127 to 41, besides leaving myself a perfect break shot for when I continued play on the next afternoon. When I ran my string up to 153 before I missed, 
I had set a new high mark for match play, and I took my seat with the feeling of confidence that Rudolph could never overcome that lead. Erwin kept playing with that same dogged determination that had always marked him as a great money player. He concentrated on every ball and never gave up to the very end. But the handicap was too much for him. When referee Joe Ferguson said, Play for one, I knew that my long quest of the pocket billiard crown was at an end. Henceforth, I was privileged to write World world's champion pocket billiard player after my name. Rudolph, Rudolph took the loss of his crown like the grand sportsman that he is. I want to wish you good luck with the title, he said. I hope you make a million dollars with it. And that concludes Chapter 5 of The Fabulous Mr. Ponzi. Join us again next week for Chapter 6, right here on American Billiard Radio.